0: to the second season of the Teachers in the Hall podcast. It's been a while, to say the least, but we are happy to be back. The first semester of the school year was more than we ever could have anticipated, and we wanted to reflect a bit before we move into the second half. I'm Aaron Lark, and I like Tillamook chocolate peanut butter ice cream, hiking on Sundays, and a solid double crochet.
1: And uh, I'm John Zingali, and it is cosmic crisp apple season, everyone. That is for sure. And we're uh, Groundhog Day is right around the corner here, and one of my favorite movies of all time. And uh, something else I've become a fan of quite a bit over the the last uh, several months is Marion Berry cheesecake.
0: Ooh, yeah.
1: Um, yeah, it, it caused me to put on a couple more pounds that I had lost, but you know,
0: <laughs>
1: it is <laughs> it, it, it is what it is, you know, at this point, so. <laughs> um as you all know um thank you for for joining us again it has been a while i think the last time Erin and i did this it was right before the school year and uh as she stated it's uh it was a bit overwhelming this first semester but we, we felt like we needed to pause take a break reflect and uh you know continue trying to capture the conversations that are that would be happening in the hallways uh big things and little things and um You know, I think it wouldn't be January of 2021 uh, if we didn't mention Bernie Sanders and the memes.
0: (laughs) These memes are fantastic. I think they really did help me get through the beginning of the year. Um, I love especially that he didn't know he was a meme right away. And then when that was shared with him, he just laughed and laughed. You know, here he was, this person sitting in his non-designer coat wearing these fabulous recycled mittens that had been made for him by a teacher. I love it. And then the fact that when he did find out and was able to share that image with everyone, he took the proceeds and donated them to the food bank. That is very Bernie and very fabulous.
1: Yeah. And uh, one of my favorite little parts of this, other than the memes themselves, I mean, uh, you and I share what? three or four of them a day, at least. Um, I mean, uh, someone made a website where you could take him and put him into any Google Earth image, um, which is, yeah, it's fantastic. Um, You know, I myself photoshopped uh, out the background and have been playing. It was my Zoom background the other day, uh, and the kids were laughing. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That was always fun. And, uh, you know, yeah, it's Bernie being Bernie. And and one of the things I found was interesting too is uh, reading up on the teacher that made the the mittens, which are made up from a, an old recycled uh, sweater is she was specifically there, that She specifically said that they're not a TV family, but they literally had, they brought the TV out of the closet or wherever it was stored. She's like, we hooked up our bunny ears so we could watch the inauguration. And she goes, I went to school and, you know, did her thing or she was distance teaching, whatever it was. And she came home and her Gmail was like broken because she got so many emails about oh my that. God. Um, and her, her daughter's like, mom, you're, you're, you're on TV <laughs> or your your mittens are on TV or something like that. And I just, you know, uh, I feel for that poor woman. Cause she's like, I just did it cause I like the guy and wanted to give him something. I'm not here to like sell and make yes. these things. And, uh, you know, um, <laughs> she is completely overwhelmed and inundated with, uh, email so let's give her some yeah
0: let's give her some space we can appreciate the memes and and give the woman some space I know that in the teacher chats all over the place there was the one of him in the chair and talking about every recess teacher (laughs) that has Mm -hmm. to observe and then I think my favorites because I love Jurassic Park and all things dinosaurs my favorite is the one of him behind the metal counter in the kitchen with a velociraptor coming around the side. So he's in the place of the little boy in the movie. I love that one. And then I think my second favorite is the one where Deadpool is posing in his lap because that just made me laugh.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's so many good ones out there from uh, Bob Ross painting. We're just going to paint a little Bernie sand, Happy little Bernie <laughs> Sanders. Um, you know, uh, I, I'm a huge Indiana Jones fan. And, and the one I saw, in particular was, I believe it was the opening scene. And instead of seeing the silhouette of Indiana Jones and his shadow, it was the shadow of Bernie as you, as you walk in uh, to that opening scene. But um, I mean, they're everywhere. They're fun. I even Photoshopped them into some white family photos, like for fun. (laughs) um, Because, you know, sometimes when you've been staring at a computer screen all day, yeah, I realized I was working on a computer again, but um, it was a different type of fun. Uh, or and and stuff being done. And it was, it was kind of fun.
0: Yes. It's the little things that make the days more bearable right now when everything is sort of in flux. And that brings us to our topic today, or or, I'm going to call it a theme because there's just so much going on with teaching during COVID right now. There's, you know, no way that we would know where to start or what to unpack. So we have just a couple of thoughts. Um, This has been a year, it really has. And um, I think one of the things that's top on my mind and why I'm always enjoying memes as much as I can is that this year, one of the first issues I think that teachers are looking at differently is integrity. Um, I think for a lot of us, we're used to a certain level of deployment when it comes to our job. We are used to a certain level of delivery. And I I know you are, and I know I am. This year has been so hard because we know that we are not able to deliver, to support, to teach to what we are used to as far as, you know, that level of accomplishment. So it feels like our work days are spent endlessly frustrated with everything so challenged. Everything's hard right now. And that really wears on people.
1: Yeah, it it really, really does. I know, um, you know, so much of teaching is building that relationship's with your students, um, and your kids that come into the classroom. And, uh, you know, me, I'm a very high energy, uh, person (laughs) to say the least. Um, you know, for as long as I've been teaching, I do bow tie Tuesday, every single Tuesday, and it's formal Friday, every single Friday. Um, and I've actually kept those routines, um, even through when we left in the spring. And I know the kids have appreciated it. Some of them even asked me like, Hey, Mr. Z, they, they challenged me at one point to wear a different bow tie every single day. And so I actually broke character and did bow ties like every day for like three weeks or something like that, just because I knew it would bring enjoyment to them and they could, you know, have fun with that. Um, but part of this is just, you know, the delivery of stuff and, you know, kids can't always log on to zoom or don't want to because they're not in the right frame of mind for learning and, you know, we look at a lot of black screens um, and it's hard. Um, I know I did visit the school building and actually found a, a couple of cards from kids uh, from the holidays. And those are those are the little things that as I read through them, you know, uh, they're heartwarming and uplifting. Um, and, and there are kids that see that we're trying. And I, I think every teacher right now is like a rubber band. And I, I don't know where that breaking point is for some people. Um, but it's been, what, 10 months yeah. now? And <laughs> we're, we're being stretched. Um, you know, w- we use the term, too. I've always been good at squeezing water out of a rock and, and collecting data and getting kids to where they needed to be academically. But, um, you know, some kids just aren't going to get there right now. And we have to be OK with that. And, um, you know, but they're still coming to class and saying hi. And that's, that's, that, that, that's a win sometimes too.
0: And there's a Chris Tavani quote that I keep in mind um, when I'm feeling kind of helpless. Cause like you said, there are students that we just aren't reaching. We're just not able to give them what they need right now for so many reasons. And that one quote is that the one thing you can't do for them is the work. And that has to be okay that maybe different work is what they need to do right now um as far as taking care of their mental health their you know family's health or whatever's going on with them and so when i think about why this has been such a tough year it's that my avenues for encouragement coaching and even just you know nagging being there and being like hey turn that in let's let's get that in or oh hey you know let's finish this up Mm -hmm. i can't do that they're limited or they're just gone you know And you, when you know that you are failing to reach every kid, that is heartbreaking for a teacher, whether it's, you know, it it doesn't matter that it's not our fault. It's still something that I don't know that any teacher that can sleep at night with that feeling, even when you tell yourself, you know, I can only control what I can control. You still can't, you know, that feeling is still there of we're missing kids. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I it keeps me up at night. And as much as some people are like, Oh, you just need to like learn to let it go. And, um, that's easier mm-hmm. said than not. I mean, I just, you know, when, when teaching is what you do and it becomes, you know, a part of who you are, you know, it doesn't just go away when you close that computer or shut that door. Um, you know, I was walking around the grocery store and, and ran into some former students and next thing you know, <laughs> Um, you know, while distance, you know, 15 minutes have gone by and we're laughing and talking um, and, and it's just like it becomes a part of who you are. And it just it, it's hard to let that go. And there's so many systems that we have that aren't set up to meet some of these kids in place. Um, you know, one of the biggest things I, I see when I come up is when I'm talking to families is um, as I try to communicate, you know, why their student might not be doing well academically is. You know i don't see them in class right they don't come to the to the zooms or they're not engaging with the learning lessons that we've set out there and you know parents are frustrated because they especially at, at our level of middle school and high school they're they're trying to give their kids some independence as mm-hmm. well right and balance that without being the helicopter or as we said what lawnmower snowplow yeah. parent of four and um and they're out working and they're providing for their family, they're doing what they need to do to survive. And, um, some of those kids just, you know, they're not there. Um, and, but, you know, attendance is recorded one way, but as we all know as teachers, attendance and engagement and learning and logging into a zoom and walking away, you know, these are all different things. Um, and I don't begrudge a kid for doing that right now. That might be what they need to do to survive, right, mentally um, in this in this atmosphere. Um, but it does great at you because, you know, I know I can speak for yourself as well. as like I'm giving everything I have into this. Um, and there are days where I feel like an utter failure. Mm-hmm. But I have to remember that it's not just, you know, I have to remember what they're going through. Of course. And- And, uh, you know, I look at the the Teddy Roosevelt quote that I have on my uh, email, it's, you know, it's hard to fail, but it's even worse to never have tried to succeed. But right now, you know, we need to redefine and look at what success is, because for some of those kids, making it through the day is, is a success.
0: I, I like that because, um, it can seem overwhelming when you start to think about the system and, and everyone's system is different and so nuanced and you have all of these people making decisions in the best way that they can. And you have all of us looking for evidence of learning wherever we can. And I just think that we have to codify our work differently and really look at what progress means in that case, because we are kind of going day by day, just that day. What do we do in we just finished the first semester and have done grading in a way that is completely um, more intense than we've ever done before, because we've been doing a lot of it at a distance. We don't have the same um, interaction access, like you said, you know, kids are we, we can't see them. We don't get to engage with them for all the reasons. Um, so we don't have the same evidence and we are combing and looking for learning in more ways than we ever have before which is awesome and while i've been thinking about this i noticed that on twitter a topic has been coming up bubbling up again about ungrading and we're only going to scratch the surface in it it's something you can go down a rabbit hole for you know take an entire afternoon but essentially what um ungrading is is where you make a move to not assign grades to students and that doesn't mean you don't report on grades it just means that you are instead of sharing a number or a letter which I know you and I have had long talks about how those are always subjective things um, that teachers are instead sharing narratives and descriptions about what students are doing or using portfolios of accomplishment as part of that and I I found that a really interesting pull, and we, you know, a lot of people are quick to point out that, oh, a year ago we were saying, or 10 months ago we were saying, we're going to disrupt the whole educational system, we're going to fix everything, and when we come back it'll be different. It's not yet, but this is one thing that I think is starting to get a foothold, because we have... You know, assessment systems that are not using the same assessments anymore because they're they're not measuring what they were built to measure in this environment. And so when we're thinking about reporting or sharing what a student has learned in a given period of time, looking at that differently, I think is an exciting thing to have on the table. And that I hope more systems are able to and empowered to incorporate. Because I know that's that's a nuanced thing. You can't just decide hey, I'm I'm going to stop giving grades because there are so many other pieces tied to that. But we can have those conversations and we can push on those systems and act, ask what we can do. And I know that, John, in your student teaching, you specifically were at a building that used narratives. What can you tell us?
1: Yes. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot to unpack in right. everything that you just said. Right. Um, yeah, and my, actually my mother-in-law still teaches at a school that writes, you know, does narratives and stuff. And obviously she's a, a high school teacher. So there, there's formal grades as well, because I think a lot of this stems from the collegiate yes. university level, because they require certain things. Um, so in my student teaching, uh, I taught at a, at a K through 12 school uh, in Portland. And, um, you know, through kindergarten, through middle school, there were no grades given. Uh, there was report writing much like kind of like an elementary-ish report card might be, right? We're looking at standards and we're giving feedback. Um, not necessarily, you know, it was like a check or a, a minus or a plus. You know, there was a little bit of that. But, you know, we wrote a page, page and a half about the student. Um, and I think part of that says to me, too, is that's why I enjoy parent conferences a lot, yes. actually, because I think that's, where we can give the best type of feedback, um, you know, something I'm even, I've done in the past and I'm making a very concerned effort to, to do it this next week is once I have my grades calculated, um, if a student feels that they have demonstrated a higher level or something uh, on something that, that I've scored them on, I'm gonna give them the opportunity to, to talk to me. Um, and in that like portfolio essence, hey, show me Show me how you think you've demonstrated this a little bit better than what I have scored. And um, I think part of that is listening to the kids Um, and getting in this learning mindset rather than just, like, you know, grading mindset. Um, And that's a shift for kids, though, as well, too, because they've been programmed to play the game of school. What assignment do I need to do? Well, let's see what standard, you know, Mike, as you know, you and I ask very similar questions. Well, what standards do you need to improve on? Right? Or what standard do you need to demonstrate? Because it shouldn't just be about doing work for work's sake. There's needs it's to be learning nice. involved with it. Um and, you know, that's the difficult thing I find right now is normally I'm able to get kids to care about history who would normally like have zero um engagement in it. Um and and I, I've lost that right a bit of that right now because I, I the kids aren't in the room with me, right? And if they're not in the zoom in the zoom yeah. where it happens, uh <laughs> they're not in the room where it happens. And so um it's hard to do that. But you know, the kids are the kids are also being kids, you know. We're teaching eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen year olds. And Um, school doesn't, you know, their lives revolve around other things. It's true.
0: And um,
1: I don't know if I, I, if I really answered the question, but like, I I believe the report writing is, is, is important, but that shift would need to come from, I think the university level, because then States can look at what they require for high school graduation. It's a big
0: system that we're working with
1: yeah and the oh what, the, what was the last piece now? I'm blanking. Um, but it's maybe some of that is changing with the less requirement of SATs and ACTs, right? Like there could be a, a crack appearing.
0: and i I'm also watching the topic because I think the movement has a lot of merit, um, specifically when we're thinking about anti-racist grading practices. Um, of course. When anything is, you know, it has a person that's working on it, it's absolutely subjected to biases that could come through. However, at the same time, I think that opening up this practice has the potential to to make a shift, to make a collective shift in how we talk about students and more importantly, how we support students in talking about themselves, really giving them the ownership over demonstrating their learning, their accomplishments, owning that process that they're going through. And I think that our online remote learning, hybrid learning, all of these different environments, they could either help or hurt this depending on what structures exist where you teach. I mean, all of our classes that we have are still full of students with very different learning needs. And so we're kind of we have layers of complications that are added on and i'm wondering if ungrading could help with some of those struggles
1: yeah i i think that's you know very well said you know online learning uh has turned you know there's this kind of like one size fits all teaching situation um but we we know the students are are not there and you know i, I think the way that you and i teach specifically um you know, with projects and stuff like that, that really get kids going on different topics, right. And different things. Like there's so many different avenues for kids, but, um, some of that becomes lost now with this digital transition just because, and you have students of all abilities in your rooms. And I know when I was in the class, you know, when, when I'm physically in the classroom with kids, those students that have gotten things and need to move on, right. And, and, can do some really critical thinking, higher level critical thinking. um, You know, it's really easy for me to challenge them and give them new like little mini tasks. Like, hey, what about thinking like this? What about this? And you know, you throw like five new questions at them and it really starts to create and generate them thinking about more things and you can push them. Hey, you wanna try to do this? Let's go look at that. You wanna use the laser engraver? Let's go look at this. You know, you you throw these different darts at them to, to keep them moving forward while you then can focus on uh, some of the students who struggle a bit. And the problem is like, I can't slow. There's a point where you can't slow down anymore to try to get everyone to be successful because you're going to lose that other large chunk of your classroom because they're bored. Um, And that juggling act is, is, is difficult because um, you can, you know, if you drop a ball, You can try to pick it up again and keep juggling. But if if it's if you drop it and it's on the ground for too long, they might not want to rejoin. Yeah.
0: And I I was thinking of this um, with regard to some of the big picture schools. We have a couple in Washington. Well, we have at least one in Washington. I know they started kind of in New Zealand. Um, where everything is customized to the students, and I know there are some other districts that have pieces of this, especially if they're in a rural environment where you might only have three kids in one grade and ten in another, and you really have to restructure what school life is like. And so I'm wondering if we did that to ourselves in having the the these structures that we have, you know, where we've kind of locked ourselves into this. At the same time, I do think that the more contact you have with the student in whatever way, even if it's screen off and you're just having a conversation, you change the relationship you have. And like you said, when you're talking about next week and sitting down with students and talking to them, I am able to make such a better connection with a conversation with a student you know, than I can Zooming to a general group of young people. And so the more we increase our ability or we rethink, rethink these systems to work with students to collect that evidence, we're going to move them in the right direction. And so I know this is the easy thing to say and hard to do because so many school systems right now, if they have not already, Are looking to move into hybrid or expand their hybrid and so it it doesn't feel like the time that we can look at changing systems again because we already have to change and i know what that means (laughs) i guess i'm wishing for a magic wand that could pause time long enough so that we could move some of our um understandings and some of our barriers around things like class period times, you know, and, and specific subjects in specific orders and things like that. Pause that, readjust those and create something that's more holistic for students.
1: Um, well, and, and everything that's going on right now is it's interesting, you know, I, in, with the subject that I teach, it's building on skills um you know but in the humanities you know i work on these same skills year after year after year with the students right it's you know even semester to semester we're working on a lot of the same standards and stuff like that so if we miss a bit of time a student might not be at the same place they would have been if you know everything had been great but i'm still gonna work on getting them to where they need to be and It's, it's different than if I teach a subject that builds upon each other, like you can't move on in certain maths classes or science or languages and stuff like that. If you don't have that prior, like if you don't have that base knowledge that you need to get from the class then you can't, oh it's so hard to move Oh my gosh, and that was
0: on. happening at the beginning of the year and I had to bite my tongue, oh my goodness, because all over the social media, teachers are saying, you know what, I'm going to spend the first three, four, six, I don't know how many weeks of the school year we're in now doing review, and I just thought, why? Why would you do that? You have students that are in so many different places right now, like you said earlier, you know, it, it to assume that they all need this specific level of intervention is not reflective of where you know maybe 10 percent of them might need that and i get it it's it's really incredibly difficult and you mentioned the subjects that build and i i know that in some school systems because of those structures if we can't disrupt them students will just get um, placed in the next spot and we'll spend time catching up. And some students can operate well in that mode. Others are going to need different supports. And I'm hoping, because I know, you know, the more you know about school systems, the more you understand why it is a big ship. And to push on that rudder is really challenging and it's not for a want of love or better things. But I'm really hoping that some of the funding that comes through, through federal, through state and all that are is going to be directed directly, specifically to, I don't know if they'd be more like TOSAs or support people whose job it is to work with kids that need an even more individ- individualized plan when we get back, you know, or when we get back, when we, as we progress, I want to say into the next school year, you know, that that they have the freedom in their job to get help kids get where they need. And it's sort of like a, a tutor situation, but not, but I think more than that, because you might find different students across grades, across subjects, what have you, that have some common skill needs and then work with them together to do that. And I'm not sure um, fully what that looks like, but I've been thinking about it because I've, as someone who teaches sixth graders all the way through up up through seniors, I've seen um, a shift in motivation in the last 10 months where typical child development in this age at some point young people start to transition away from more of the extrinsic motivators and into intrinsic motivators the kinds of things that give them drive toward their future career choices but i'm seeing more and more clinging to that extrinsic motivation rather than completing you know that developmental shift. And that worries me. That's a, I mean, that's a straight up coping mechanism. So if we have students that are feeling those stresses, um, students that are in survival mode and have been that way for months, you know, their amygdalas are flipped. It's completely unreasonable for them to be able to process things or, or not to process, to be responsible for processing things the same way. And we have to be gentle with our assumptions. So I'm, I'm hoping that there is some availability in the funding to create some specialized roles within school districts to plan for, identify, work with those students and help them feel comfortable in in where they're at in the school year. And then I think along with that, those people could be working with teachers in that same way, you know, to create that environment for everyone in a school building.
1: Yeah, and you know, I think, What this is kind of what I'm hoping this is showing that we need to be flexible with what learning looks like. And, you know, I this our our class that just graduated this last, you know, June. that was the first class that I taught as sixth graders, right? So like I I was (laughs) to watch them kind of, that was the first class that I watched go through our entire building, right? Six through 12. And it was, it was incredible, but it was also bittersweet for them, right? Because I remember them like first day coming in as sixth graders. And then we had our drive through graduation, right? This year's senior class has now been through their junior year where it's so much is happening, right? You're applying to colleges, like all of these different things. And now their senior year is like this, too. Um, and I think, you know, I know our district is putting plans in place to um, make sure kids are successful. And we're looking at what graduation should look like and what, what does learning look like. And I think this is a real chance to, to push back on the system and say, like, OK, we've always well, why is it this way? Why do we have to have these this number of credits or this specific thing? Well, if the answer is like, well, it's always been that way, I don't think that's a legitimate answer anymore. Um, I <laughs> and you know, kids can demonstrate learning in myriad ways, and this is where like we need to be flexible as teachers and allow them that when we when we can, right, to show that because what you were what I heard in, in you talking about is kids are. Falling back, even though they had been maybe moving towards this idea of learning is fun and I'm going to learn for learning's sake, right? Becoming a lifelong learner. They're now reverting back to this, how do I play the game of school to make myself feel better for this grade? Or maybe there's some other factors like parents or other people or siblings saying, oh, you don't have this grade and I have this grade, right? Like there's this coping mechanism happening where we're reverting back to that rather than moving some, some, some students moving forward into this lifelong love of learning um, that we try so hard to and instill in um, our
0: kids. Thinking about what, you know, the chance to change school and, and the things that are antiquated practices that seem almost untouchable. And we have this untouchable idea. Well, when we built this system, we decided this. So you can't touch that. And it's like the, the world has moved on. You know, for better and for worse, the world has moved on. And if our school systems don't shift to match that, can they really claim to be innovative? Can they really claim to be oriented to students' future names or future needs? I I don't think so. I think they need to be something we anticipate a shift. And I know in our state, our education committee and our legislators working on several bills right now to change what college and career preparation looks like for students, to change the supports, to change the pathways and to really match what happens in the real world. And I'm excited to see what happens with all of this thinking at those higher levels that we need to open the door so that schools can make the changes they know are going to better suit the needs of the students they have. And
1: And, and I'll just just say it again, I'm gonna revisit one of our past episodes, sorry for interrupting, but college does not have to be the only gauge of success. Right. We have so many other things that the kids can get into and become great at. And we need to make sure that those programs get as much um, emphasis. As and I know that some college. of the bills
0: in our legislature right now address that very issue, giving students the opportunity and choice to own that future as soon as they want to. And make that a part of their learning and a part mm-hmm. of demonstrating their readiness and their accomplishments and their um their ability to, and, and right to receive a diploma from our schools. And all of this to say that we, you know, are, are talking about all these changes and shifts, which of course add to teacher burden. And um, <laughs> we want all these things. And at the same time, I think more than ever, we are finding out how human we are. You know, you, at the end of the day, we all have 24 hours and some of them we try to sleep and see our family And at the same time for all of us, you know, whether it's our first year or our 15th or our 35th, this year feels like a brand new career, a brand new job where we are learning about our practice all over again. We are identifying and calling out problems with the practice. We are learning about students without our usual tools and tricks. And so we're having to find new ones and hoping that they get us somewhere. And I think through this, one thing is that we, when we learn about ourselves, we can make better decisions about how to care for ourselves. And that helps us model that for students. And I'll give an example for me right before winter break. I made an agreement with two of my colleagues that we would completely clear our inboxes. All three of us, you know, would keep various amounts of things in there and just sort of work on them when we had time. And we said, nope we are clearing our inboxes and we are not going to check our email until the Monday we get back from break. And it was so liberating that I kept doing that. So that's my practice on Fridays before I sign off from work is that I clear my inbox and I close my computer and I don't open it until Monday. And I've made it, you know, it's, it's February now. And That has led to more work on Mondays, but the feeling of freedom is just something I, I need to keep for myself because it helps me maintain a clear mind over the weekend, really enjoy some relaxation and then come back fresh. And it's something I want for everyone that I work with, you know, adults and our young people.
1: Um. And and what I'll say is one, just like our students, one size doesn't fit all. Um, I'm not necessarily that same way. Um, (laughs) My brain works differently than Aaron's. And um, there's times where like I have an idea and I get inspired and I'm going to go work for an hour and like do some stuff. And that's okay too. um, Because some people look at me sometimes like I'm crazy, but like sometimes like that's fun for me. Like, you know, we have a new project coming up here and I'm sitting there designing logos and, and trying to like, you know, lay everything out in my mind. Cause I've been dreaming about this project for like two years. And to me, like that, that's, that's what also gets me going as a teacher, right? My energy, like I'm building up my own enthusiasm for this and hoping that it translates over to the kids. Um, I know one thing is like, as I've been taking a step back and, you know, when my work day is over trying to be more present, you know, as, especially at night. Um, but then again, like sometimes I also feel that I'm like, oh, I, I just, I didn't have time to finish that one thing. Sometimes when I don't get to that thing, then the stress, like I'd, I'd, I'd almost rather just go finish it re- like first thing Saturday morning because by not doing it, then it's like eating yes, it in I, the yes, back of my brain. I
0: do know that and I um, – I... And that's, that's, what's great is we can both find whatever we need to do to feel better. And that's, I realized that for me, there's that golden period of time on Sunday mornings when I feel completely relaxed because I've been able to let go of what happened before and I can pick up what is about to happen. And I need that so that I can do this a hundred percent, 110% during the week. And so finding that and supporting each other and finding that is is just really what I want for everyone right now.
1: Um yeah, I mean there's just, you know, it, and what's interesting is, you know, yes. sleep patterns and stuff too as, as you know, adults, you know, the the pandemic has shifted that. Yeah, there's like, a lot less like sleep. nobody's business. Um yeah. Um for some, you know, like and it's but I know for a fact that kids are staying up till the wee hours in the morning because, you know, I had one, one student the other day, like come in, Oh, I, you know, I was up till such and such time. And sometimes it's like becoming like a bragging thing, like how late they can stay up. But, you know, there has been a sense of loss of time, but like, you know, the essence of it, like, what does it mean? Because we were used to these structures and times we would wake up at a certain time. we take a shower we'd get dressed we'd leave the building we'd uh we leave home we'd go to the building and you know all these things happen at some times and now like there's no commute there's people talking like oh well you should try to create a fake commute for 10 minutes and drive around your block or something like that so then when you come back you feel like you're in this mindset of going to work even though instead of just walking from your bedroom to wherever you're going to work if you're working from home mm-hmm. um and i find that interesting too right because um you kind of need a space. I know I've gone into the building several times and I feel somewhat more productive sometimes when I go there because I'm not at home being distracted by certain other thi- other things. I, can't that might say be that
0: I know um, sometimes it'll be lunchtime and I will just want a break from whatever activity or, or even classes or work that I was doing in the morning half of the day and I'll need it a change. Cause I'll know the afternoon, you know, I have a different prep, a different class subject coming up, or I need to move into grading and I'll just, just go and get a coffee. <laughs> just, Oh, I don't drink coffee. Go and get a tea, you know, just to leave the house and step. <laughs> or like my daughter does every day um, in between her zooms and all the things going on. She takes a walk. She walks actually to the school, walks a lap and then comes back. And for her, That is just a way to, like you said, tell your brain the message that we're transitioning activities now because we don't have those same signals that we used to have.
1: Yeah, it's for me, my my little lunchtime is uh, my routine is uh, I I love the amazing race and I started all the way over again um, for like the fourth time now. So I'm like on season 15, but like a little little 20 minute amazing race, you know, while I'm eating my lunch, uh, you know, gets me into that, that I, you know, that mindset that I need. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's a walk or a lap around the park because that I have next to my house. If I'm at the building, um, you know, we do get to see a couple people. And so, you know, we can do it like a lap around the school outside or something like that. Even, um, sometimes those, those routines are, are, are really needed because
0: mm-hmm. we've
1: lost a lot of routine in our lives. Um, which then brings us to a routine that might be changing soon, which yeah. is because of hybrid learning uh, going on everywhere. Um, you know, I know my daughter had her first day of in-person learning on Thursday. Um, she was ecstatic for it. Um, and I think her kindergarten or her first grade teacher is done yeoman's work this year because the relationship that she has been able to build with these kids is phenomenal and to see the excitement um my daughter's face was incredible um and but that's going to be a whole new transition a whole new slew of things that kids are going to be thinking about and worrying about um along with us as teachers
0: and i'm thinking about these systems because my child moves into hybrid um in the coming week and we, again, can challenge our systems in our thinking, because a lot of people assumed that certain groups, certain populations would want this system or that system. In a lot of cases, people are wrong. And I know that different states and different leadership persons are having to grapple with that decision. And we're really talking about risk here. You know, what do we risk when we make this choice? And what do we risk when we make this choice in looking for data? And this is just another place where our systems can get challenged. And some of that, I think, is happening as leaders are building those systems. And that's got to be hard for leadership. Whether I agree or disagree with any um, leadership across the country right now, I absolutely want to acknowledge how difficult that, that choice making is, you know, you're holding the strings of a community, a huge community in your hands and trying to do the best that you can with what you have. And I just, I, that's an incredible thing. And once again, it is an opportunity for these leaders to challenge systems to in, in their thinking and the way they set these things up. When they are working on anti-racist practices and policies with regard to these learning environments, what schools are doing so that when they say we want to serve the underserved or the unserved, that these changes are enabling that to happen. They have to start with these anti-racist ideas and then put this all into motion at the same time that they are working under the pressure of a pandemic and educating schools in this. These are huge topics right now. So, you know, we don't ever want to make light of anything that is an incredible thing to bear or to burden on anyone. And I, um, talking about teachers not sleeping. <laughs> I'd be surprised if leadership across the globe is sleeping much either.
1: It's, I mean, those are big topics. I mean, we're talking about, you know, how big are our class sizes? Um, I know, you've been in my classroom many, many times, like, there's always pods. And, you know, we were moving things around we're like, Oh, I need these tables for another room. Like, uh, yeah, no, I'm gonna need those back. Because, and I kind of, I looked in my room, like, I, you know, talk about changing perceptions, like, I yeah. can't have my room set up the way I want. it. When we come back, it's just I, I for safety reasons, I cannot. Um, and so that's going to be interesting that's going to be a completely new shift um, in the way I teach for a bit. And I hope that, you know, we can get back to the, the group learning that the talking, the, the big interactions and stuff like that. But um, you know, we need to make sure that our, our students, their families, and our community are safe. Um, and so, you know, class sizes are going to be different schedules are going to look different some students aren't going to come back this year uh, if even if we do go back to, to hybrid learning because their family it's not worth the risk for their families maybe they' they have some underlying health conditions maybe it's uh, a multi-generational household whatever the reasoning is you know uh, it's there and I think the pandemic has also shown a very big light on some of the Uh, inequities in the overall public education system Um, and my hope is that we can start to see where funding needs to go to level the playing field and give all students the same type of access to education that they and I'd should like to do even
0: say that I'd like to have lots of playing fields you know kind of how we were talking about earlier where it's okay for things to look different from student to student it's about the student getting what they need to reach mm-hmm. their goals in life their interests what they want to do and when I was thinking about science and um, the necessary safety things that would happen for me in hybrid It really is going to change, like you said, change what I'm able to do. And, um, you know, I'm completing a giant inventory of my science equipment to see what I can make happen in a class. But it's it's bigger than that, because it's going to take time to figure out to figure out what we're able to do. And then in some ways, by the time we figure it out, we may have to adjust again and i think that's been a big challenge for society as a whole for adults and some adults are doing that better than others you know we've seen some very obvious examples of that and at the same time that while that can feel defeating you know just when you think you figure it out you have to do something else i think that students are worth that i think that our society our future success is worth that and we need to keep trying and making the best we can and and that's that's why I think that's why we don't quit on ourselves as teachers and why we don't quit on students because we have that little kernel and sometimes that that kernel of hope can kind of get squished down or covered up and we lose it sometimes but we eventually find it and find ways to you know help us make it shine again so that we can come back and I think it's okay to hand that off to someone else if you need a little bit of a break one day to say you know what i i've given everything i can you know friend colleague mom you know best person dog whomever you know take this burden for me for a little bit and i'll pick it up again i just need to take a breath and that's got to be something that we do for ourselves and that we do for students
1: Um, I, I will say though, um, sometimes yeah. that's incredibly hard to do. Um, uh, you and I were talking, you know, I, I teach social studies and so, um, the last several months have been really interesting. Um, you know, we started off our school year learning, reading the constitution, all these different things. And, um, you know, the events of January 6th occurred, right? Like that's the thing too, is our students are living through that. They're seeing these, these things play out. Um, you know, that was but I, I honestly needed probably a, a couple of days off too. Like that shook me to my core. I, I go to Washington D.C. all the time, um, and watching things like that unfold um, rocked me to my core. And you know, we talk about teacher. Like if if it was just about me and self care, I would have taken like those two days off. But I also know that as a as the teacher of young leaders. Um, and young children, that they need to see—you know—they they needed someone to lean on at that time too. And so, as much as I would have loved to take a day off, I knew they needed me. Um, and we kind of like stopped class for a couple of days, and we talked um, because sometimes events happen. This is the things that you know—they you, don't necessarily prepare you for uh, in, in teacher training school—is. You know, days like after Sandy Hook or um, what after happened on January sixth with with the insurrection, Um, kids were at so many different places. But the biggest thing we could do is listen to them, hear them, and try to help them make sense of things. Um, And those are one of those days. And as I started my class those days, like this is one of those Mr. Z days where. We would just move all the furniture around and sit on the floor and talk, right? Yeah. Um, that can't happen right now, even if we're okay. in hybrid like that's not that's still going to look differently. I, I, you know having a Socratic seminar is going to look so drastically differently, where we can't necessarily look each other in the eyes and and, and see the pain or the empathy or the frustration and the anger and, and these things that these the facial cues that we communicate towards one another. Um, but I will say those days were also when after, like, I had a good cry with a couple classes, you know, and just walking through this range of emotions that the, the kids had, um, you know, our, my, part of my job is to teach kids how to, to share their thoughts and look at things critically and, and ta- learn to talk to one another, regardless of where you fell in your opinion on what happened that day. Right. We're better off when we learn how to communicate those things to one another um and that's that conversation that we need to foster in kids and allow them to know that like you know my main goal is to make active citizens out of them that can communicate and and one day take over because they're our future leaders of the world and um you know while it it hurt me a bit that day to you know and i knew my bigger purpose was to be there for them. And, you know, we don't know what, you know, that's, that's, that's a whole nother layer of things on top of all of the, the other protests and um, fights for justice that were going on across our country. This, this racial awakening, if you will, this last year as well, on top of a pandemic, um, on top of an economic and socioeconomic uh, collapse, right? There's, we have to keep in mind that our kids, even if they're not successful academically, they're, they're being successful by surviving right now.
0: Yeah, and, and we need to also change our definitions that. of academically and, and what that means for students because you're reminding me of your statement earlier that teachers are like rubber bands. You know, when these things happen and when they touch our subject matter, um it it can change how we work with students i have had students asking me about the vaccines they wanted to know how they're made um but more so they wanted to know how trials worked most of my students did not know how um how long they have spent preparing the current vaccines that are out you know they thought they were um, that they had been made in less time than they actually had been made. And they didn't understand all of the people that were working on the vaccines around the globe to make this happen. And they really didn't understand why students, uh, why young people, why children are last on the list when it comes to how trials work. And in many areas across our country, at least, students are and our students and young people, children are last to be vaccinated And After we looked at all of that together and looked at some historical examples, they understood that children are last because in vaccine trials because they're the most important, not because they're the least important, but because we want to be as sure as we can be that young people are not going to be adversely affected by a vaccine, that it's going to help not hurt. And they want to learn this because history is happening now school has to happen now. You know, it can't, like you said, sometimes you have to alter the plans you had, change the curricular path and make it something relevant for students, not just because that's the cool thing to do and post that you're doing, but because that's real learning and that is achievement, that is academic, that is the behavior that makes for good citizens who grow up to be excellent voters excellent contributors to society and caring people who put their heart and their soul into what they do when they, you know, take this out into the adult world. Yeah.
1: And for many kids, it wasn't necessarily, you know, that that was a day like kids didn't log off. Like I'll, I'll say that right now. Like kids showed up and they didn't log off that day. Maybe they didn't speak, but they were listening to each other. And that, to me, was one of the most powerful, like, when I was done with it, even though it was, like, a bit painful, like, it was also very powerful, um, because these kids listened to one another. Um, not not once did they interrupt one another, right? They waited, like, they, they followed every protocol that sometimes we, we, we try to, you know, like, are they getting it? Are they getting it? Everything was on display those two days. Like, there there was, it was one of the coolest things I, I had seen and, and makes me proud to be a teacher because they, they listened, they spoke with, with care. They spoke with empathy. They spoke with curiosity. Um, they spoke with passion and they spoke with leadership and it was, it was truly incredible and, and learning happened, even if they weren't speaking, right? They were still a part of the conversation Being a part of the conversation is not always just talking, but also listening. Yeah, I think listening
0: is key in, you know, more so than talking in a lot of ways. So just like many of you, Mm -hmm. um, John and I are halfway through um, what will probably be the most challenging year in our careers. Um, So before we go, because we could talk for hours, but let's be honest, we have grading to do. Um, But we want to extend a word of gratitude to all of our listeners, whether you are a teacher, a paraeducator, oh my gosh, the heroes, the school nurses that we have, administrators, all of the family members, and just about, you know, anyone who is giving their all to help in any way they can for our students this year. Thank you for that. Thank you so much. We are so appreciative for all you've done. If you want to share a story or something that's happening where you're at, we would be happy to share that. You can find us on Twitter, both individually and at teachers in hall or on Instagram at the same. You could also email us at teachers at gmail.com. We like to share what our listeners are saying, share with us those conversations that you're having.
1: Yes. Thank you all. Once again, it's, uh, you know, a privilege to serve a community uh, like where we live. It's uh, it's really, truly a privilege to see a community and, you know, so many communities across the United States, across the world come together to try to get this under control. Now, you know, from the hospital workers to the grocery store workers, everyone has been playing their role and doing what needs to be done in this situation. It's humbling. It's hard work. And uh, we, we thank you, as always. The music is brought to you my, by my brother, uh, a.k.a. Son of Starkiller. We'll be following those conversations that are uh, <laughs> happening mainly online now and not so much in the building, but um, <laughs> you know, share your thoughts with us because uh, we, we want to hear your feedback about how things are going and, and stuff like that. So uh, as always, keep those conversations going.